0: Pauline, give me some of your tots. Raven's egg, blood of a hen. A blood. I ate his liver with some father beans. Nice Chianti. Humble pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob, and uh, I think you guys know how this works by this point, so let's go ahead and get started. You know, sometimes you have a situation where you take a food that's relatively pedestrian and you try to elevate it through the power of pretentiousness. (laughs) <laughs> to something that it isn't, you know, for example, take the lowly pizza pie and, you know, you'll have some overpriced hipster restaurants saying well, we got a great pizza here. We added some uh, some Iberian prosciutto, some black truffle, some caviar, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, just by adding expensive ingredients to a cheap food doesn't necessarily make it better. You know, like uh, pizza is what pizza is. But on the other hand, sometimes you take something that might be a little bit on the higher end of the culinary spectrum, and you can bring it down market, so to speak, and make it, um, I don't want to say more accessible, but a little bit more casual, you know? And I have like this special place in my heart for what I call like old school fancy food. You know, I'm from southwestern Pennsylvania, and they say that trends die in pittsburgh like the last place for something to be trendy and hot is going to be pittsburgh it's going to it's going to come to pittsburgh as the hot new thing long after it is flared up and burned out in new york and la and miami chicago or whatever so you know as a child of the 80s and the 90s in southwestern pennsylvania in the, the the suburbs and the exurbs of pittsburgh you had all the all the hot dishes from from the Roaring Seventies, from the Metropolitan Seventies, and even it, you would even see this in the places where people from Pittsburgh would go on vacation, places like Rehoboth Beach and certainly the Outer Banks. You know, the Outer Banks is basically just Pittsburgh South, and a staple of you know the more expensive, the special occasion, the, the, the place you'd go to eat on the second to last day of your vacation in the Outer Banks you know it would be the filet Oscar this is uh, your filet mignon broiled topped with crab meat and hollandaise and served uh, alongside a, a bundle of asparagus I mean that's the canonical example that I can recall I mean occasionally um, I do remember specifically there being a uh, New York strip steak as a, as a as an option as opposed to a filet but the general construction of this was similar it was a steak crab hollandaise and asparagus and rather than make that because like i said it's been done let's try to reimagine that as something you know more casual more accessible and just interesting you know and i thought that would make a fantastic burger like it would it would be a unique burger but it fits well as a burger. You know, it's not like putting caviar on pizza. It's like, you know, augmenting the general concept of what a burger is to incorporate these other, you know, these other elements, the the, the surf and turf aspect, the hollandaise sauce, you know, whatever. So this week's episode is the Oscar burger. And i am be honest with you, straight up, better idea than... Than, than it was in, in reality. you know. Not that there was any, it wasn't anything wrong with it. It was just, you know, all the individual components were good. But, you know, maybe just a regular burger would have been better. However, we can go ahead with this episode because we have recipes for lots of components here. So even if you didn't want to make the whole oscar burger as like as like the whole package you may want to make the brioche buns or you know make your own old bay seasoning or make your hollandaise sauce or or make a chopped burger which that was you know kind of the the kind of interesting spin on the burger this is that we're not making a ground beef burger we're making a chopped meat burger Um, but we'll walk through all the individual components and first off we want to get started with essentially a brioche style bun now typically if you if you just google or you find a brioche bread recipe in a cookbook it's often a multi-day process. Like you'll you'll make the dough and you'll let it rise and then you'll punch it down and you'll fold it over and you'll knead it and yada 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 yada. And then it's gonna go into a like a stainless steel or a ceramic mixing bowl and into the refrigerator to cold rise for you know 24 hours something like that and then you're gonna bake your brioche because the 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 cold period makes the dough less sticky you're gonna you're really gonna beat the dough and stretch the glutens Mm -hmm. and get them all linked up um, pretty aggressively and then that cold period allows some of the, uh, the, the tension in those molecules to relax. And it makes the dough less sticky, e- more easily worked. It will um, make that real soft and squishy cakey texture to it. But as like a burger bun or as essentially a stand-in for like an Amish white bread or something like that, you can definitely turn over a brioche recipe inside of less than six hours, maybe about five hours. And it worked fine. You know, you just have to be a little bit more careful in shaping and, you know, plan out your your timing of the of the rise and the secondary rise and all that kind of stuff. But you know, here we'll go through the the general process for this. Uh, if you check the show notes, you'll see the exact recipe step by step all that kind of stuff we'll also have a link to the imager album with all the photographs of making you know this whole thing Um, and if i come across any uh, special ingredients or equipment or whatever we'll have links to that in the show notes as well but generally speaking, uh, we're making a brioche dough here using milk and eggs and honey and a little bit of vanilla extract as like the wet ingredients. We're not using any water in this. We're going to use, I know not to get into this specific measurements, but you know, a half cup of milk and uh, five eggs plus an extra egg yolk so that's like almost six eggs worth of liquid there plus a half cup of milk this is a very batter like dough that we're going to be making let's see here we so we got the milk yeast honey eggs the extra egg yolk uh, vanilla granulated white sugar uh, flour salt And butter you know softened up at room temperature what you do you start off is you add the honey to your milk and whisk that around in a bowl and add your yeast to that we're going to activate our yeast in that milk and honey mixture it's going to take you know 10-15 minutes uh it may not get super bubbly like honey has this weird property where it it can be like a desiccant, it can be antibacterial, but it's also, you know, converted to sugar, you know, in in whenever you digest honey it's almost exactly like sugar as far as like your metabolic reaction to it. So it is it is sugar, but then it also kind of retards certain microbial action. So you're you might not get a super vigorous awakening of your yeast initially, but it'll be okay. You'll get a couple little bubbles starting you know, once the yeast is uh, fully dissolved and is creating some air bubbles in that, in that liquid, what you need to do is whisk together your eggs and add it to that liquid. And then you can add in all of the sugar and the vanilla and all your dry ingredients. Using a stand mixer and the bread hook attachment, we're going to need that. and I'm using that term kind of loosely. Because this is going to start off, like I said, very similar to a cake batter, and you're not really going to be kneading it so much as just mixing it and stirring it with the bread hook for, you know, five to seven minutes, and it's not going to form into a ball of dough dough at this point okay it's basically going to mix together as uh similar to a um a muffin dough you know kind of gluey and viscous uh not as runny like you, you you can't pour it out of the bowl but it also doesn't hold its shape it's kind of intermediate between a solid dough and you know a cake batter it's pretty Pretty much a biscuit, not biscuit, a muffin, a muffin batter. That's what it is. Anyway, you have your one stick of butter. Divide that into four equal parts. While you have your, your dough hook kneading on the low setting, you know, add one of those segments of butter in and let it go. It, it, might, it might stick against the side of the bowl or whatever, but as, as that dough hook runs around there on that planetary gear, it's going to slap that butter in and incorporate it into the dough. Once that first segment is incorporated, add the second one. It's, it usually takes like two to three minutes upon adding the the butter to this mixture for it to be incorporated into the dough. So you just do that until all of that butter is in there. Once you've incorporated the last segment of butter into your dough, you're going to increase the speed of the mixer up to six. And I'm assuming that all the KitchenAid stand mixers are... Uniform in their in their speed numbers. So like I'm using a like a what is it the Pro Series Platinum whatever I don't I don't know whatever the biggest one is that you can get it like Williams Sonoma, and I assume that six on that one is going to be the same as six on like the KitchenAid artisan line or whatever. Anyway, you're going to turn it up to speed six, which is fairly aggressive. Like this is going to be fast and real slappy with that dough what this is going to do is it's going to work the gluten proteins in this dough and it's going to stretch and fold very quickly in quick succession and they're going to be rubbing against each other and pulling away from each other and going around each other it's a it's a very intricate and elaborate dance but over time over the ne- the course of 10 to 15 minutes which is fairly long for considering we've already kneaded this dough for 8 13 to 15 minutes adding another 10 to 15 gets you up to almost a half hour of kneading time that is uh, fairly long for bread dough but towards the end of that 10 to 15 minute high speed kneading you will notice that the dough starts to take on the form of a ball, it starts to pull away from the walls of the mixing bowl, and it starts to uh, glom together around the bread hook. At the end of 15 minutes, you turn that guy off, you remove the bowl and the bread hook, and you basically push down all this dough into a ball in the bottom of the bowl, get, get the hook out of there, and then turn this out onto a floured surface. Okay. Now you can take a little bit of that flour, get it over, you know, the top, the sides, obviously there's flour underneath because it's sitting on top of it. And with your hands, pull in the edges of this dough ball and kind of fold them in and then roll the ball over so that you'll have a smooth floured surface, like a very smooth ball of dough with a floured surface on the top. And it'll look really nice and uniform. Uh, Let that sit there and wash out your... Uh, mixing bowl dry it maybe throw a little bit of flour into it and swish it around on the bottom and then transfer your dough ball back into that bowl and cover it with saran wrap and we're going to let that rise for eh, at least three hours room temperature it will you know approximately double in size it may rise a little slowly because the gluten, like the gluten structure in this dough, is going to be very um, tight and and uh, and robust. It's like my favorite word. I say robust almost every episode, but it's going to be uh, very springy and rubbery. Um, so it might have a little bit of a resistance against you know puffing out with the the carbon dioxide that's produced by the by the yeast. But it will rise a bit. It'll it'll soften and it'll become very sticky. Okay. Later on, whenever we make the, the actual buns, you just got to be careful and, and work it with your hands, kind of work it with the edges of your hands, get a little flour on your hand, the heel of your hands. Uh, after three hours, what you're going to do is what I did was I didn't want to have to deal with it potentially sticking to like a cookie sheet. So I put parchment paper down on a cookie sheet and preheated the oven to 325 degrees Fahrenheit. Then I basically broke that dough ball into five equal portions, which they made fairly large buns. Um, You probably could have done, I I wouldn't say 10, maybe eight, if we knocked it down to eight equal portions, they would have been, you know, a Kaiser roll, not Kaiser roll, but like a, a large hamburger bun size. If you had divided that up into eight balls of dough using your hands, you kind of just fold it over to get a nice tight smooth round ball and then i laid those out on the cookie sheet and allowed those to rise a second time while the oven was preheating i also took a small pan uh, put a couple inches of water in it and put it on the lower shelf in the oven okay so then When it came time to put these buns into the oven, it was nice and humid and you could bake this, you know, again, it was 325 degrees. We baked that for 38 minutes. Before we put it in, I beat one egg and did an egg wash on these buns and then sprinkled them fairly liberally with a coarse kosher salt. You could use like a Malden salt or a finishing salt like that. I just used a coarse kosher salt sprinkled on the top and then into the oven for 38 minutes when those were done brought them out let them sit you know just open air to cool uh to allow you know the the steam to settle inside and all that kind of stuff to happen for approximately 20 minutes before i slice them in half with a bread knife you know as to use as a hamburger bun okay so that's basically the brioche bun recipe and process now we also made our own old bay seasoning now, Old Bay itself is fine. You can definitely use it, but if you if you kind of what's the word? What's if you if you compound these spices yourself, you know, it's like a pharmacy where they mix the medicine. I don't know. Um, you can you can control the qu- quality of. The individual components but you can also uh you know bump up the flavors that you want more of or tone down the flavors that you want less of or whatever so you can you can use the highest quality ingredients and combine them to make this thing that is uh familiar and reminiscent of a of a more standard spice mix but has a little bit of uh it's punched up in certain aspects okay now for this we use salt smoked paprika using that pimentone dolce de la vera that i love so much uh white pepper and black pepper celery seed cardamom cardamom oh my god whole cardamom pods smell so compelling it's the most amazing herbal aroma that you can have it's like uh I don't know if you if you have the attraction to the smell of gasoline that I do. Cardamom is like the spice equivalent of gasoline, except that it doesn't make you turn brain dead. You can just smell cardamom all day and it's not as far as I know, it's not detrimental. But cardamom pods, uh, nutmeg, ginger, allspice, ground mustard. Uh, This is like your Coleman's dry mustard, right? Clove, red pepper flakes, cinnamon and of course, bay leaf and you're going to be using dry bay leaves here you know i have, I have a bay what do you call it a bay bush a bay tree whatever i love using fresh bay leaves whenever possible but when you need to grind them up definitely go with the dry because the fresh ones don't grind very well and uh, you know you'll have your the amounts of all these things are going to be slightly different it's going to range from you know a tablespoon or two tablespoons down to a fraction of a teaspoon or whatever but you get these all together uh, you grind them you mix them and it looks remarkably like old bay might be a little bit more vibrant because you know the paprika that you're using is probably fresher and is of higher quality than whatever paprika they're using at the old bay factory (laughs) or whatever all right so that is your old bay seasoning now let's get into the meat of this burger pun entirely intended so with, with your, your filet Oscar, you're using a filet mignon. You're using the Chateaubriand or part of a tenderloin. Uh, you can save a little bit of money by not buying a whole tenderloin to make a burger. That would be, you know, that would be fairly opulent. Uh, I just went with a chuck roast, a good old-fashioned chuck roast. Nice, good, meaty, again, robust flavor, um, but rather than grind it, like you would a a traditional burger, we're going to make a chopped burger. And to do this, we're going to take our chuck roast and uh, cutting across the grain, you know, chuck roast is usually somewhat elongated. Like if you lay it down on a cutting board, its east to west dimensions are going to be longer than its north to south dimensions. So we're going to cut it north to south across that short axis. I'm getting a little lost in the geometry terms here. Let me take a sip of my tea and pick up where I'm leaving off here. Ah, that's delicious. Earl Grey. Hot. All right, so you have your chuck roast it's laying down there, cutting it north to south into roughly half-inch slices, okay? This is going to create uh, these, these like, I don't know, playing card size... <laughs> I guess it's not playing card size because they're half-inch thick. If, if you had playing cards that were a half-inch thick, this would be the size of your chuck roast slices if that is confusing check out the imager album to see what it is i'm talking about here now using your food processor you put a you know a handful or so of these slices of chuck roast in there and you give it a pulse several times pulse it for i don't know 10 seconds more or less that is going to thoroughly chop and slice and mangle this chuck roast so that it can be formed into a burger now when you're going to turn that out into a large mixing bowl or whatever and you're going to work in batches you can't probably won't be able to do the whole chuck roast in your in your food processor all at once i think i worked in three batches uh chopped it up into the bowl now once it's in the bowl you can go through and with your hands just kind of work through it feel through it pull out any any uh Tough, sinewy bits, anything that's long and stringy, like you might get um, sort of a, a chain of fat and connective tissue that didn't chop up very well, just pull that out and, and set it aside, discard it or whatever. Um, you can remove it at that point. If you wanted to, whenever you slice it up, you could go through and trim out different parts, but I don't want you to over trim the fat because the fat's going to impart a lot of flavor there. I, uh, and whenever you've already run it through the food processor, it it is very apparent what parts would be uh, the difficult bits, you know, the tough parts, the stringy, the chewy, the whatever. And you can just pull those out so that you have a nice, clean mixture of beef and fat, and it'll be a nice texture there. To that beef, um, you know, I, let's see. I I think my chuck roast was somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.3 pounds, and to that Beef mixture, I added two tablespoons of our Old Bay seasoning, and one whole egg. Come to think of it, this recipe is more, you know, if you take all the components and put them together, it's more egg than it is anything else. I mean, we had, you know, we used five eggs in the in the bread dough. We're using an egg in the actual, you know, burger farce. Uh, we're going to use mm, four eggs in the hollandaise, and we're gonna use another egg to egg wash the brioche buns when they go into the oven. So it's a whole bunch of eggs that you're using and only a little bit of everything else that egg is going to be a nice binding agent because because we didn't grind this it's going to be hard i mean you can form this into a patty it's not going to be a problem but that egg is going to help hold everything together once you start cooking it so that it doesn't just crumble apart into fajita meat essentially so that egg is it's it's essentially the glue that's holding everything together once you have that meat and spices and egg all mixed together, portion it out and shape them into your burger patties. I made three burger patties and then put the rest of the meat mixture into the fridge. I'll package that up, make a burger later this week or something like that, but form those into patties and set them aside for a while. Um, what's cool whenever you make your own burger like this is, you know, the provenance of the cut, at least it's not just a, a comminuation of, you know, all the trim off of the off of the animal you have much lower likelihood of contamination because you're using a whole muscle and especially from the chuck that's like the shoulder of the beef uh it doesn't have contact with the viscera or the gas any of the gastrointestinal tract it's kind of separate from that whole uh component of the animal that it came from so you're not gonna you can if you know if you like a, a a medium rare or a rare burger, it's a lot safer to use a whole cut away from the interior of the cow that isn't exposed to that aspect of the animal. So, you know, that's one benefit of, of making your own burger that way. But anyway, you have your, your your burger patties ready to go. I used just snow crab legs. You know, traditionally, I think Oscar would use lump crab meat, but I didn't want to buy just like a can of jumbo lump crab meat. I wanted to have a... a a little bit more hands-on experience with it so i use the snow crab legs i just steamed those for i don't know 10 15 minutes uh you could if you wanted to coat those with the old bay seasoning and put them in there i mean that's how they would be prepared if you're just buying crab legs in maryland or outer banks or myrtle beach or whatever but i didn't want to over overdo it with the old bay seasoning so we just we just steamed those crab legs got them out into a giant bowl let them cool until they i can they can be handled then i cracked them open pulled out all of the meat set that aside i put that into a small cast iron pan with a little bit of butter and just sort of poached it while i brought together all the other components of the recipe that way um, it wouldn't dry out number one and it also it wouldn't be significantly colder than all the other parts of the burger i wanted everything like a an even temperature distribution from top to bottom oh in the middle here um i did make some homemade butter to use in the hollandaise sauce um that was simple i mean it's heavy cream hand mixer beat it until the buttermilk comes out and then strain it through either cheesecloth or as i like to use flour sack cloths because it has a tighter weave i think i mentioned that in the cheesecake episode a few weeks ago so anyway your burgers are made uh your crab is prepared the asparagus saute pan uh, start it with some olive oil move it into a 450 degree oven to roast that off get a little bit of color and texture on the outside hit it with a bunch of kosher salt easy breezy beautiful good to go you can spritz it with some lemon keep it simple on that on that front now i did i did want to get white asparagus because i thought it would be fun to do like this burger theme burger and fries and the white asparagus would look more like a french fry but unfortunately couldn't find white asparagus this time of the year so we went with the green and it was it was (laughs) fine all right so let's get on to making hollandaise sauce this one, uh, oh, let's see. What would be the most? This isn't really. I would say that the most uh, technically difficult part of all this is just making the brioche, um, because it is it is a uniquely textured dough. I mean, it's closer to making like cinnamon rolls than it is making uh, like a like a baguette or something or a sourdough loaf. But you know, hollandaise sauce has a reputation for being at least somewhat finicky i don't know why i mean it's just you get your four egg yolks uh, you beat those together and you make a double boiler you set a you know a stainless steel mixing bowl inside of a pan with a little bit of water at the bottom so you got like this indirect heating mechanism to to slowly and evenly heat the egg so that it doesn't curdle you don't want scrambled eggs you just sort of want to uh, change the consistency through even heat and acid and fat, and the way you do that is get that get those egg yolks in there, start beating them a little bit, add your lemon juice, and whisk those on you know a medium or moderate heat on the double boiler until. They roughly double in volume. They're going to fluff up. You're going to be, you're emulsifying it. You're incorporating a little bit of air. It's going to go from like a, a shiny yellow egg yolk color to a more opaque muted, like a pastel yellow, like, like a, like a Chevrolet on the streets of Havana yellow, you know, not bright and not New York yellow cab, but like uh, Greece or American graffiti yellow, <laughs> I'm going way, way off the deep end here in the abstractions, but um, you know it's gonna, it's gonna go from a really stark, striking, uh, you know, yolky yellow to a more subdued, buttery yellow. It's gonna be beautiful. So you're gonna do that, and then once you've, once you've achieved a little bit of that opacity, you're gonna take four ounces of butter ideally you do this beforehand you know you melt it in a bowl in the microwave so you have melted butter there and then you just trickle it in it's kind of like making mayonnaise but not you don't have to go as slow whenever you make mayonnaise it's like super slow it's like a drop at a time in this case you're you're adding it a teaspoon at a time a tablespoon at a time whisking it together and it's going to incorporate with the egg yolk with the lemon juice you can hit it with a little bit of salt uh Tyler Florence's uh, uh, hollandaise recipe is salt and a little, in a pinch of cayenne. Uh, replace the cayenne with your Old Bay seasoning. We're hiding that everywhere, man. I mean, you made Old Bay, you might as well use it. Throw a pinch of that in there. Uh, it's gonna add a little bit of color, some flecks of brown and red and all that. Whisk that for a bit. And then once you are satisfied with the, with the texture, when it has like that velvety sheen and it's beautiful, kill the heat, and, you know, give it a stir every once in a while while you you construct everything. At this point, it's just a matter of putting things together. You have your brioche buns. You cut those in half with a bread knife. Lay it down there. You could toast them if you want. It's not necessary. I mean, I think that, you know, the fact that you made a homemade brioche bun is enough. You know, you've done the heavy lifting. Lay your burger atop that. Put your crab meat on top of the burger. Spoon your hollandaise over the top of the crab meat, and then lay your, uh, you know, the lid of your bun against the burger, and uh, plate that alongside some asparagus. Uh, and that's basically it. You could garnish the plate. You could you could uh, take some chives and chop them very finely, and and drop those atop the uh, the hollandaise. But basically you've created a burger inspired by, you know, an old school fancy dish of, of broiled steak and, and crab and uh, buttery, eggy sauce, and it's wonderful. And it realistically it did taste it tasted fine, you know. It it had all the flavors, it had all the textures, it was there. Um, you know, the bread the bread was probably the standout. The hollandaise was delicious and had that nice, that nice, acidic, lemony uh, backdrop to the very, uh, oh God, I hate the word, unctuous, unctuous texture of egg yolk and butter. Um, But, you know, kind of underwhelming. Uh, It was certainly not greater than the sum of its parts. You know, I was whelmed. I was not underwhelmed. I was not overwhelmed. I was simply whelmed. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you add things up, you just get the sum of its parts. Sometimes it's not greater. Sometimes it's exactly mathematically equal to what you put into it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, feel free. You can use that, that brioche recipe to just make bread or to make uh, little, little rolls for breakfast sandwiches. It'd be great. Um, doing uh, a chopped burger as opposed to buying ground beef or grinding it like if you don't have a meat grinder but you have a food processor you can make a really killer burger with a nice and nice and unique mouthfeel by chopping it rather than grinding it and then certainly hollandaise it's great to have that in your back pocket for eggs benedict or whatever you know sunday brunch and uh you know it's also cool to know what goes into old bay seasoning in case you pull out that old you know can from 1997 you're like you know what i'd like to have something a little fresher (laughs) all right so that's that um that is the oscar burger photographs well it's beautiful it's a great concept um but you know it it is whelming is equally whelming so have a good one